ever since I mentioned it. Galatians chapter 2. We'll just start in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now you can turn with me over here to Second uh, Timothy. Paul comes to the end of his row. He's convinced, sure enough, he's right. And he says, chapter 4, beginning in verse 6, he said, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. I'd like to get all sidetracked on that, but you know a drink offering never stands on its own. It's always an accompaniment with something else. He said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. Here's the conclusion. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I read those scriptures to us uh, just to remind us that what John is presenting to us is not something new in scripture. And that the application of all of it as John spends his time talking about Jesus and giving us the person of Jesus and describing for the church the person of Jesus so that throughout perpetuity of the church, the church can look back and can know who Jesus is. And I guess there's a thousand things every day, at least there's two or three every day, that rock our world that we just want to know. Just want to know. How long is this going to last? How long am I going to hurt? How long is this going to continue? How long am I going to keep struggling against this or that? And John doesn't give us answer to all those questions like we would like them. 
like that there's something for us to do, something for us to say that fixes every situation. He gives to us a person, the person of Jesus. And we sort that out. If God continues to talk about something, it's bound to be important. If you turn with me, come back over here to the Gospel of John now. I think I just thought that. I didn't say that. And I apologize for my uh, gift and ability to be distracted and often not completing thoughts that I have or I intended to say. I'll work on that. Somewhere in there, Jesus is the answer. But he says something real important here in chapter 6. We're about to be in chapter 7. We talked last Wednesday night about him being the bread of life. And when he presents that, he, he presents himself as he is. He fed the people and they chased him around the lake, but they chased him around the lake because of food. And he said, don't work for the food that spoils. You need to realize what's going on. And they bring up, well, well, what are you going to do? Give us a sign that you're going to continually, you're going you're to be God's continual promotion of the Jewish nation. Well, number one, God's not continually promoting the Jewish nation. Number two, the reference they make to the manna that Moses gave them in the desert, that promoted them through. That's what a good national leader would do. That sounds like something the Messiah would do. What will you do? And Jesus said, God gave you that bread, that manna, which means what is it? Isn't that a funny thing? For 40 years, you know what they ate? What is it? Mama, we got any more of that what is it left? That, I mean, can God give it away any more clearly? What is it? For 40 years, they asked the question. Moses gave us what is it. Jesus said, that's the point. You never did figure out what it was. You hadn't yet figured out what it was. Because what it was, is it was from God. From heaven came what would sustain life on this earth. God did that physically. Why? To prove that he had the power and the purpose to do that ultimately in Jesus. And Jesus said, you want me to give you some bread? I'm not going to give you any bread. If you chase me around here for some more bread, you miss the point of the bread. I am the bread come down from heaven, not for the sustenance of the Jewish nation. Where is that? Verse 20 something. 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life, not to the Jewish nation, to the world. 
The world is what's at stake here. The world is who God is feeding, not the Jewish nation. Their mindset and their purpose is a little bit small for God's purpose, and so they're missing it. But why shouldn't they miss it? They miss the manna. It's now 1,500 years later, and they've still, 1,440 years later, and they still miss the manna. Jesus says, no wonder then you're missing me. And the Jews, the leaders of the Jews, they begin to grumble, verse 41, because he said, I am the bread come down from heaven. They're grumbling about it. Verse 60, his disciples are now grumbling about it. Everybody's grumbling about it because God is not providing for their felt needs on their felt terms. And thus tonight's lesson. Jesus said in chapter 6, verse 45, is written in the prophets. God said this a long time ago. They will all be taught by God. This marks the kingdom. This marks Christianity. They will all be taught by God. Ancient Israel, God fed them and they didn't get it. They were taught by God. They were fed, what is it? They said, what is it? Isn't enough, so he gave them quail. They still didn't get it. They didn't get it. Paul, Paul made that clear, 1 Corinthians 10. God gave them food to eat, and it was really Christ. He gave them water to drink from a rock, and the rock was really Christ. And they missed it the whole way. They missed that it was God's provision to them. The law was, was God's instruction to them. It also was supposed to be teaching them. Not to obey the rules and make fun of everybody who didn't. It was teaching them about their need for God. It was teaching them that you can't come to God on your own. Now everybody says, well, well God, you know, we sing that song, just as I am. Well, just as I am is the only way I can come to God because I can't come to God by somebody I'm not. You know, however how I'm not, I can't. But God doesn't adopt your terms. We pervert that sometimes and, and we say, well, God will just take you how you are. No. God will fix what's wrong with you and take you on his terms is what God will do. When God offers himself to Israel, it's on his terms. And the law was supposed to teach them that. You don't just show up in God's intimate presence. You take the intercession God provided and you come to God. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. And so when he says in 645, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. For everyone who comes to the Father and listens to him, everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him, 
comes to me. This is it. Whatever God is teaching us in here, whatever he's teaching us, are we seeking to let it draw us to Jesus? Because this is the problem. This is the problem the Jews, the Jewish leaders in John's gospel have. This is the problem that the people who are not receiving him, who are not believing in his name, this is the problem they have. He told them in chapter 5, the Jewish leaders, he said, you study the scriptures and you think that by them you have eternal life. Here's the funny thing. Yet the scriptures are what testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have eternal life. We'll take off here in chapter 7. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea because of the Jews. The Jews were waiting to take his life. That's the Jewish leaders. But when the Jewish feast of the tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go up to Judea, that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. And then John states, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. They're not trying to help him out here. They're trying to put him in his place. Therefore, Jesus told them, the right time has not yet come. Uh, for you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to the feast because for me the right time has not yet come. Having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the feast, he also went, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the feast, of the, the feast, the Jews were watching for him and asking, where is that man? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him, and some said, he's a good man, and others replied, no, he deceives the people. So there you go. There you go with pluses and minuses again. Some people are believing, some people are not. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the Jews. I think that is what he refers to also in 922 uh, when it's the blind man that he heals. They're afraid the Jews said they'd throw him out of the synagogue if they talked about him. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having studied? Where did he get this learning? And Jesus answered, my teaching's not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. For he who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself, but he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? And yet not one of you keeps the law. He's talking to the Jewish leaders. 
Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd, not the leaders. You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? And Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you were all astonished. The one miracle he refers to is in Jerusalem there at the chapter 5. We studied the man at the pool of Bethesda. I did one miracle, and you were all astonished. And yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though it actually did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a child on the Sabbath. Now, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. He's digging into how they evaluate truth, whether it's been spoken by Moses or whether it's coming from what he says and what he does. It's still coming from God. How do you evaluate it? At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem begin to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from, and when the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I'm from, and I am not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, when the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this man? They're basing, they're basing their decision on what Jesus has been doing. That's a real good thing to do. I'm sure they've got questions. I'm sure they've got challenges. I'm sure they've got doubts about their understanding. Uh, nobody's going to know, well, that, that's not even true at all where the Nobody's going to know where the Christ comes from. And the Pharisees heard the crowd and whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus said, I am with you for only a short time, and then I will go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go to where our people live, scattered among the Greeks, and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, I, you, where I am you cannot come? On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. That's almost exactly what he told the Samaritan woman, isn't it? 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That's almost exactly what he said to the Samaritan woman, isn't it? And by this, he meant the spirit who uh, those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. That sounds like the response the Samaritan woman had, doesn't it? Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Well, he was born in Bethlehem, not Galilee. Interesting, interesting how people stop doing research when it doesn't suit them. Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Yeah, Micah 5, 2 says that. Then the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. That's the answer they took back. He didn't do any miracles. They just come to arrest him and he talks to them. And evidently they just turn around and leave. Something he said resonated with them. Something he said and everything they're aware of what, somewhere in here, this starts playing out for them and they're, well, I'm not doing this. This is not happening. No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Oh, they just elevated themselves above everybody else, didn't they? Mm -hmm. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? If Nicodemus would have been around 1,500 years earlier and they started eating the manna, he'd say, now why are we calling this? What is it? Do you think God's trying to tell us something here? Are we just supposed to shut up and eat it, keep going, thinking about ourselves? And they replied, the leaders of the Jews, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that uh, no prophet or the prophet does not come out of Galilee. And so they've justified their rejection of him. How can this man, every time he says something profound, you see, they have opportunity to do that. 
I'll tell you who's the bread come down from heaven. It's the one who's sent by God. You have to eat my flesh. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Don't we know where he's from? Where we think he's from doesn't add up with what God said. We're justified. They just can't hear who Jesus is for the most part. Nicodemus is getting some heavy suspicions, but they can't hear who Jesus is from what he does. They can't, they can't hear who Jesus is from what he says, and what he does backs up what he says. And I think John puts this in here on purpose. I know he puts it in here on purpose. I'm not sure if I understand all of the purpose, except I know that continually this must be the purpose. To be taught by God, to listen from the Father and to learn from him so that we come to him. And the problem the Jewish leaders have is not the law of Moses. That's not their problem. Their problem is they're sinners. Their problem is they can't hear God's message in the law. They took the law and they made it to be this thing that promoted them. They made it to be this thing that allowed them to put other people down and elevate themselves. And they've become so engrossed in that and they've become so entrenched in that and they've trusted themselves and they live their life by faith in themselves, by faith in their own righteousness. Not what Paul said, not by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. They live their lives by faith in themselves and so they are afraid. And they try to justify their rejection of God keeping his promise, of God's solution, of God's provision, of God's own son, they justify their rejection of him. And they're just going to figure out a way to do it themselves. I think that's a warning for us. I think that's a warning for us. When we read even the New Testament and we're turning it into anything that points us back towards ourselves, that leaves us with ourselves, that that brings us to depend on and look to ourselves. And while God calls us to submissive obedience and God calls us to live by his objective standard of light, and to be holy because he is holy and and to pursue righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He commands us and he directs us. But when he commands us and when he directs us, brothers and sisters, he is never commanding us nor is he directing us to accomplish God's purpose on our own. It can't happen. You can't, you can't take the commands of Christ 
and become a non-sinner. We can't do that. We can't wash away our own sins with human effort. We can't do that. Well, I don't see the temptation. Brothers and sisters, that's the temptation of every sinner. That's the temptation of our flesh. We've been doing that since we were, before we were a sinner. We're just doing that when we were smart aleck little kids, two years old. I do it. I do it. No, you're not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. So I'm not, I'm not just pointing out that we need to reject the doing of it ourselves. I'm surely not pointing out that we need to do nothing. I'm pointing out the fact that what we need to do is be taught by God and be in search of him. All of these stories he's been telling us of Jesus, because I'm going to come to, I'm going to, come to things that are really important to somebody, and I'm totally inadequate, and I need to know he turned water into wine. I'm going to come to situations where people need to be fed spiritually. And you know what? I don't have the answer. And I need to know two sardines and five tortillas to get it done when I've got him. I'm going to come to situations where I feel like I'm just war smooth out. I'm paralyzed. I've wasted too much time. I've been, I've been this way too long. There, everything's against me. Nothing's for me. And Jesus comes into that situation and fixes it on a dime. I'm going to come to situations where I feel distanced from him or somebody that I love or I care about or I'm trying to help understand. This is not just about me. I'm just supposed to take this and understand it personally so I can help other people. And the greatest thing I will ever do to help other people is not tell them what to do, so to speak, from the law of Moses of what to do with an egg laid on Saturday. That's not the important thing. The important thing is who is God and what is he calling us to? The important thing is who is Jesus Christ and how does his identity touch where you are in our frustration, in our fear, in our challenges? How how does that, what does that look like? And it's nothing more than us being willing. And that's why Jesus said, if you want to do God's will, you'll get this figured out. He didn't say it's easy. He just said it wasn't complicated. Anybody who wants to do God's will be able to figure out if my teaching comes on. They ain't nobody ever thought of anything like this. This is not man. Man don't think stuff like this up. Never. We're coming, we're coming to him because of who he is. And who he is is what fortifies my life. It's what fortifies me against my, in the midst of my challenges. It's what fortifies me against my doubts. It's what fortifies me to have hope in the future. Hope that's, that's powerful right now in my present. It's powerful right now, but it's powerful because it's tied off and it guarantees my future. And Paul said, yeah, I'm about to die, but there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And let me tell you, I'm going to take it. And I've lived my life up to this. You think Paul taught everybody he wanted to teach? He said, I'd go to hell for Israel if it'd help them. It wouldn't help them. 
members of my own race. He tried, he taught, he argued, he did everything he could do, and it just wasn't enough. But he didn't change subjects. He said, I kept my faith in Jesus. And so as we're, looking, as we're looking at our own lives, if we're looking at our, at our own sin, as we're looking at our relationships, if we're looking at our future, as we're looking at the opportunities we have to share people, as we're, as we're hoping for an opportunity to rescue someone, we do all of that, and it is very, very important. In fact, I'm ready to say it is the ultimate of importance of the perspective by which we do that. And our perspective should be that we are taught by God. He is the answer. He is the solution. He himself is my covenant with God. He didn't just author the covenant. He himself is a covenant for the peoples. Our covenant with God is in his blood. As we face all that's before us in life, I'm recommending to us that we do whatever we need to do to make sure we don't do what the Jewish leaders primarily and even some of the Jewish crowd did back in the day. And they justified them trying to put redemption on their terms when they justified them trying to, to make God's rescue be on their own terms. And that's what kept them from hearing what Jesus said, and seeing from what Jesus did, who he was. This is the reason that we go forward. It's because of who Jesus is. This is the reason we don't quit. This is the reason we have joy. He is the reason we have peace. He's the source of all of it. That may not manifest itself in my life the way I would like it to at any given time, in any given situation. I may fail and say the wrong thing and do the wrong thing. But the reason I don't give up is I am convinced he's exactly who he has claimed to be. And I know whatever the Father's trying to teach me, he's trying to teach me the things that bring me to him through his son. So I don't want to miss it. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you, Father, for who you are, for being the God who tells us the truth, the God who sent and gave his own son on our behalf. Father, there's, more, there's no more precious gift ever given than the gift of Jesus Christ to us. And there's a lot of work to do in this life, Father, to get a hold of that and to keep a hold of it. But this is the work of God, is to believe in the one whom he has sent. 
whether it suits me on any given day or not, whether it requires of me things I'd rather give up or not, whether it makes sense to me on any given day or not. This is the thing to be held on to. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is the King, the Christ of God. He is the Son of God. Come here to rescue and to redeem. Come here, Father, to save, to bring light into darkness, to give shepherding and protection and guidance and provision to God's people. Father, I pray that you help us understand that. I pray that you help me understand that. Help us each, Father, to understand that in a way that it shows up practically in how we treat people who look to us and, and lean on us, people who need us, people who oppose us, maybe especially our enemies. Help us to persevere in our faith in Christ. Help us to trust him. Help us to be willing to be like him. Help us to see him as he really is. Bless us, Father, in this endeavor to know you better through our clear clear and powerful knowledge of him. We see how you are, Father, through your son. We see the price that you're willing to pay. We see the power, Father, that you provide, a power that's not from us, a power that is above us, a, tru a truth, Father, that is unyielding, that is secure, that is helpful. Helpful to us and will be, Father, helpful to a world who does not yet know. Help us to be convinced, Father. Help us to be convicted. Help us to be assured that Jesus is exactly who your truth, the truth of your word claims for him to be. And in him, Father, we find exactly what we need. Help us to hear that. Help us to listen to it. Help us, Father, to remember it. Please, God, help us by your spirit to live our lives out of a fresh and clear knowledge of him. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for blessing us with your son for blessing us with each other. Help us to love and encourage one another. We thank you for hearing our prayer, Father, and we praise you for being a God who's answered it already according to your will. That's the very thing we've always wanted. It's through him who bled for us, died for us, and intercedes now in our behalf that we pray these things. Amen. The Lord God cannot love you more than he does.
doesn't mean you feel it or you understand it, but the cross of Jesus Christ declares it. Jesus Christ cannot be more powerful than he is. Seated far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Love of God and the power of Christ, the authority of his Christ, appeal to us tonight. Can we help you? Can we encourage you? Can we fortify you in any way? If there's anything we can do to help you, you can let us know now while we stand, while we sing.